The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7, episode 1310 today. My conversation with Jason Fry about his work on Star Wars The Last Jedi Incredible Cross-Sections. Punch it, Chewie. Hey, I'm Jason Fry, author of many Star Wars stories and the Jupiter Pirate series, and you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Boybot, and you just heard Jason tell you exactly who he is, just generally speaking. He is, of course, the author of many works of Star Wars fiction and nonfiction, not just the Incredible Cross-Sections book. In fact, he is the author of the forthcoming novelization for The Last Jedi, and that's a whole other story. But for today's conversation, we are talking about The Last Jedi Incredible Cross-Sections book. But before he and I get into that, we actually get into a conversation about the writer's life and about what that's like and about what it's like for him on a daily basis, which is not necessarily regular from day to day. But yeah, I'll let the conversation unfold for you. And after the break, uh, stick around and I will elaborate on a bit of information about Jason's next project that he mentions at the end of the interview. For now, though, here is my latest conversation with Jason Fry, author of Star Wars The Last Jedi Incredible Cross-Sections. Jason Fry, thank you so much for joining me on Star Wars 7x7. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Um, Now, are you actually at home in New York right now? Are you traveling, or where are you at? No, I am in New York uh, in my... In my basement, it's it's not my mother's basement, but it is my basement. Um, and I'm in the uh, I'm in the writer's uh, traditional garb of pajama pants and shirt that I think has food on it. So <laughs> it's it's thank, actually, thank goodness it's audio, right? Right, exactly. Is it active food or is it like a stain that's been through the wash and is just not coming out? <laughs> I, I I think this is uh, soy sauce from last night. That's ah, really gross. Okay. Yeah, we we clean up okay for conventions and stuff, but there's often a lot of work done with our our writing folks. Oh yeah, yeah. We've met at uh, a couple of conventions, and you've been very dapper every time I've met you. So it, not covered with food and not wearing pajamas. Yeah, well, there it is. That's the magic trick. Exactly. <laughs> this writing life—it's—it's it's so amazing and and unexpected, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and as well as dignified and polished. And, you know, and, exactly. And something everybody wants to have shared. <laughs> well, we're off to quite a start. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. Thank you as well. And I'm also in my basement, it turns out. <laughs> my oh, own. Um, and this is where the studio setup is for the podcast. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. But um, I showered this morning and my clothes are all fresh out of the closet. So it's a. Yeah. Um, it's Wednesday, basically, (laughs) is what it amounts to. (laughs) I couldn't have said the same thing yesterday, so I'm very glad for the scheduling, as it turns out. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's, it's a funny thing. It's, uh, but yeah, this is the life. People often ask me, um, it's funny, people often ask me, like, you know, kind of what's your daily routine? And I mean, usually it's a bit more dignified than what I just told you. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the fact is that it's totally dependent on what projects are out there and how close you are to deadline. And so it's funny when people ask me, I'm usually like, well, I can't really tell you because, you know, it's everything from write in the morning, do some errands, write some more in the afternoon and night to, you know, oh, my goodness, we are almost out of time and um, you're going to find me at my desk till this is done. So I suppose that's the uh, that's the exciting part of an otherwise sedentary life. <laughs> that does sound rather Normal is not exactly the word I want to use, but like a very good structure, you know, write a bit in the morning, you know, go out and take care of business, clear the mind and and reset and then come back to it in the afternoon and evening. I mean, that seems like a very natural, um, almost circadian rhythm to it. Yeah, I've you know, I like I expect like a lot of writers. I mean, it's a kind of a constant quest uh, for something that works for me. Mm -hmm. um, I find that, you know, in the in the morning, I'm often kind of what I call clearing the underbrush, like getting rid of all the emails and and um, et cetera that just have to get done. I mm -hmm. mean, when I started being a writer, you know, nobody told me it. I was have to be a small business, and I was prepared for the former, but not for the latter. Yeah. Um, and then you know, my afternoon is usually pretty good um, for sustained work, et cetera. Uh, the part I'm, I'm I keep trying to make work is. Um, I will write at night. I'm basically a night owl, um, but I find I get a lot less productivity out of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've tried to, if time allows, I've tried to push that more toward um, kind of my own writing, uh, new projects that, you know, don't yet have a, a client attached to them or stuff I'm just noodling around with. But, um, you know, on good nights, that works. And on, on bad nights, you know, I'm just down internet rabbit holes or doing genealogy or whatever. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's reassuring to some budding writer, writer out there. Like I've been at this a long time and I'm still kind of tweaking and trying to figure out a formula that really works consistently. I have to say the, and I absolutely agree with you. I think that's fantastic and wonderfully generous of you to share the inside of the writer's basement picture and what that looks like and i have to ask you genealogy you're researching genealogy oh yeah no i'm a, a big amateur genealogist and um entirely self-taught which meant that i'm actually a pretty good one but it's taken me a long time to get here by being a bad one and learning <laughs> lessons all the hard way um yeah no it's it's a hobby I, I just love and one that has also leaked into the writing um in some interesting ways uh, you get a really interesting sense of of place of um, you know figuring out who who people might have been um, of appreciating them more. Um, when I started out, it was kind of like baseball cards. It was just sort of data about people that you could recover. And it took me a while to to become much more interested in you know in in photos or or objects or something about people's uh, actual life. Uh, which was an interesting lesson, but um, no, it, it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's something that I don't know keeps bleeding into my keeps bleeding into my work in ways that I hope are interesting. Well, I hope that we're going to find out that it is bled into 
the work of the Last Jedi Incredible Cross Sections book, which is um, what we are ostensibly here to talk about. Though I have a feeling that we're going to open a couple of other doors and happen to walk through them too at this rate. All right. Well, sounds fun. Um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you is about the structure of the writing in the books. I mean, there's, I, it's not a formula, I wouldn't say, but there certainly seems to be a, a set of common elements like an introductory paragraph and sidebar paragraphs and captions for various things in the cross sections books. Um, what I'm wondering from your perspective, is there anything you did differently to approach this particular cross sections book? Um, or is there any new creative avenue you might have pursued in doing this one? Because I know you did the Force Awakens cross-sections book, and I believe you've done a couple of other um, Star Wars projects like this as well. Uh, it, yeah, it hasn't. there wasn't a new process on, on this book. I would say, if anything, it's been refining a process that I've learned. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, to talk about that process a little bit, I mean, what I've learned, again, mostly the hard way, that tends to the only way I learn things is, <laughs> yeah, you know, how to approach uh, these spreads with an eye on um, the overall kind of narrative in the book and the storytelling and what you're trying to uh, support. And I mean, the, here, the, the things I've learned in brief are you kind of want that main, uh, that main paragraph on a spread to be able to really stand alone. You have to, if somebody just reads that, they have to get kind of all the information they absolutely need to have um, and then, you know, be able to move on. Um, one thing that's really fun about these books, but it's a bit of a, a challenge as a writer, is that, you know, they, you really don't read them in a linear fashion. I think people are I generally tend to skip around and jump around and, you know, you follow the annos, you get lost in all the cool details of the drawings, et cetera, um, which is great. But uh, as a writer, you've got to kind of think about those reader habits and see how to reflect them. So that's one thing I've learned is, you know, write that main graph on each spread as if it's, uh, you know, a standalone thing. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I've learned then is, is really that basically each of those graphs, the text is so short, you're really only going to get away with one idea per paragraph. Mm -hmm. And that's really the best way to approach it. If you try to jam more than that in, um, you really you kind of gonna shortchange both of them and not get anywhere. So I mean, with those principles, and you know, you can always think about using uh, the annotations as a place to um, you know pursue smaller themes or weave something um, through multiple uh, spreads that may not work as a paragraph on its own. But um, you know, so with that framework, what I tend to do is I kind of We'll look at a spread, uh, look at a Kemp's drawing of a ship, and then uh, first thing is kind of to go off and think about it a little bit, figure out, you know, what do I want to do here? And then from there, kind of look at how many graphs do I have, and with one idea per graph, think, you know, what's the idea I want to get across? Um, whether it's uh, context for a vehicle, whether it's its design, whether it's uh, the history of the model or the individual ship, um, you know, whether it's the role in, in uh, the story, uh, things like that. And then I try to get those out and then, you know, constantly sharpen, et cetera. Um, that's really, and, and, you know, and a, a quick thing I've learned to avoid there is also then just go back and look at what you've done and make sure, 
you know, nothing is just reiterating the plot or, you know, none of the, the graphs aren't kind of getting tangled up with each other in terms of subject matter. Um, that's kind of the process I've arrived at after doing, you know, two, three of these books. And it's one that works pretty well for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, for this book, that really wasn't new. Um, you know, Kemp uh, Remillard and I had worked together on The Force Awakens. So, and on that book, we developed a, a pretty good working relationship uh, slash friendship. Um, another thing that was different about this book was uh, in The Force Awakens book, we kind of had a lot of foundational work to do. I mean, this was the chance to uh, establish, you know, first order ships, designs, et cetera. I mean, what, what do they have in common? What are their hallmarks? Where do they come from? Uh, same thing for the resistance. Um, this time around, because it's a middle chapter, we had done all that work. So we were able to build, uh, atop that. So, you know, between those two things, uh, the process was really a familiar one and we were able to go, um, uh, probably much, I don't quite recall, but probably much more quickly, uh, and easily than um, in TFA. Got it. And so one thing you mentioned about um, the the process that I think we've talked about on the podcast before, but just as a quick refresher, when the book is being developed, they actually are designing the spreads and Kemp is designing, doing the ship um, drawings and designs before you ever get it. So you're coming at it sort of last in the process. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll often be involved in, uh, I'll generally be involved in discussions where we're choosing uh, which vehicles we're going to illustrate. Um, but, I mean, for this one, that that set was, was pretty clear. Uh, same with the TFA book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I, I definitely wait for Kemp. Um, Kemp has, uh, I mean, Kemp's a, a fabulous artist. He has uh, an idea what he wants to show, he intuitively will understand kind of what the best angle uh, is for revealing the things we're going to talk about, etc. And, you know, that that is, is his own process that's been um, finely honed over years of work um, that, you know, he could I, he could either explain or maybe um, knows intuitively. And so I would just get in the way there. So I, I let, yeah, I mean, I let him do his thing and then um, we'll, we'll jump in. Um, another thing you, you might find interesting about, about that. I'm not sure if we've talked about this before, but uh, on one of the first books of these I did, it was interesting. I was getting um, illustrations that were, they had no annotations on them. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I have no sense, no mechanical ability whatsoever, no <laughs> sense of engineering, no nothing. I mean, yeah, you open the car. I'm like, wow, you know, a wizard created that. I don't know what any of this is. Um, so, you know, I was sitting there and I found it really hard uh, to label things. And I was, it was really going slowly. And I finally I asked the artist, I said, you know, there's a, a sensibility. You obviously have a sensibility at work here, and I get the feeling you understand machinery. Did you have something in mind for all of these things when you drew it? And uh, the artist said, yeah, um, I definitely did, but, you know, I thought that would be stepping on your toes by telling you, you know, what things were. And I, I said, oh, no, 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 no. I would love it to see, you know, what you what you think things were. Um, I would love that as a starting point, and then because it'll get me a better sense of 
you know, what you, the artist, will try was trying to do, and then I can build on that, as well as you know, not labeling like you know carburetors as as steering wheels or you know <laughs> something. I I really would probably mess up. Um, and you know, so it was this this kind of miscommunication done entirely out of very kind consideration. Um, but uh, when you know we got that out of the way, and then you know I would get these great annotations um, instead, and I would see, oh yeah, and I just you know would get uh, the vehicle and the design much more quickly, and then I would take those and you know kind of Star Wars them up where I had to. Um, so that was an interesting lesson. Uh, for me about how to work, but also just, you know, just to defer to the artist at the beginning. I mean, the, the artist's vision, I mean, is, is, is visual. It's going to be the most powerful thing on there. So, you know, my job as a writer, as I see it, as long as we've talked at the beginning and we're all kind of in sync, is to, you know, stay out of the artist's way, whether it's Kemp or anyone else. Right. And actually, that was exactly the other follow-up question I wanted to ask you about was the nature of the annotations and who writes them and how they get developed because of exactly the process that you suggested. So thank you so much. Yeah. I'm definitely yeah. very fascinated about that. Yeah. No, that's a fun process. And it's a little, you know, and it'll come from a lot of things. Like uh, stuff will arrive labeled. Um, then I'll tweak things. Um, I'll have my own things I want to put in there. Uh, people... You know, artist, writer, uh, Lucasfilm, uh, the folks at DK will, you know, see some interesting stuff and either uh, request a label or, or put a proposed one in. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of back and forth on there, but um, that's a lot of, of the fun of it. I think it's also I think it's great to get um, to get multiple voices into the annotations. Uh, it prevents things from getting a little one note. Um, it allows a lot more novelty and. Uh, intriguing things instead of, you know, one person eventually kind of getting tired creatively. So, uh. yeah, the more voices, the merrier there, I feel. So it's not just you and Kemp. It's also um, people on the DK publishing side and also people at Lucasfilm in Story Group? Uh, I don't know about Story Group. I mean, it goes to it will go to Lucasfilm and, you know, whoever wants to do that, um, you know, great. Uh, one thing we did this time, we... Um, we had a great working relationship with um, uh, Phil Sostak over at Lucasfilm, whose last name I'm probably massacring. Uh, <laughs> forgive me, Phil. Uh, you know, who's, who is the author of the, the terrific book, uh, The Art of the Last Jedi, uh, which I highly rec recommend. But um, it was great. We sat down with Phil, and Phil, you know, had a direct line into the designers and the effects guys. And so he knew uh, both what they had had in mind for various vehicles and also he knew you know some interesting concepts that hadn't been filmed but had been thought about and uh, all sorts of things like that and talking with him was I think made this a much better book and uh, was is definitely something I want to do uh, in future books because it brings a new perspective in but he was also you know a terrific source of you know hey hey Phil do you want to do some annotations this will um you know, I think this will really help us. It, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a, a rural barn raising. Like, as many <laughs> people as you can get in there to, you know, help with the work and, and hopefully have some fun doing it, the better. That is awesome. I really like that. Thank you very much for sharing that additional background. It's very cool. Oh, yeah. No, and it's, you know, and it's super fun. I mean, look, it's it's work and, you know, there are, you know, you got to check over a million things and deadlines jump jump on you and all that but still i mean it's 
Oh, it's it's detailing Star Wars ships. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a pretty great way to spend a day. So I, I hope I hope how much fun it is uh, gets across both in these books and in talking about them. It does absolutely. And I want to ask you about uh, more about details that get worked in too, because you worked in some expanded universe references or legends, as it's now called. And that includes things like the Virgilian Civil Wars or the reinforcement of Thila or Thyla, uh, you know, however that's pronounced. And even a nod to Zim the Despot, which goes all the way back to Han Solo and the Lost Legacy, if I'm not mistaken. Definitely the Brian Daly Han Solo novels. So just how does that process work? I mean, you're bringing stuff from legends into the canon for all intents and purposes by doing this. So how does the process of deciding what to include work and... Yeah, just I'll I'll stop talking and let you tell me. <laughs> um, I mean it's really like anything else. I think um, you know when when people see stuff that uh, that did originate in legends. I mean I think people think it's a lot more mysterious than it is. But um, yeah, here here's what it comes down to. I mean in various places on here you you're looking for a bit of color. Um, et cetera. Whether it's you know a ship designer or um, you know, in the case of the, of the Zim reference of talking about um, warships of particularly enormous scale, things like that. Um, so, you, you know, you're, you're looking for bits of color and, you know, you can invent that. You can, um, if you can do it, you can, you can pluck it out of something in the larger framework of the movie. Um, or, you know, there is this, this vast, really fascinating um, legends architecture out there with so many great stories in it. Um, one of the things I learned early on, I was actually working on uh, Servants of the Empire, uh, my four-book um, young adult series uh, connected to Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working on that, and I had, I needed quite literally a TIE fighter engine part. Um, you know, the, the kids are watching a TIE fighter go overhead. Um, they're kind of gearhead kids who, you know, know all about the latest ships. And so it's the kind of thing where they, you know, sort of try to impress each other by knowing um, engine parts. So, I mean, there I was as a writer. And I'm like, I actually need a, a, a TIE fighter engine part number here. <laughs> and, um, you know, that existed uh, in Legends. I, I knew what it was. I knew who made it, et cetera. And, but I, you know, I wasn't quite sure how to proceed. And I asked, I think it was, I think it was poor Leland Chi who I'm, constantly bothering about everything <laughs> i asked leland i was like you know uh what should i do here and you know leland was like why would we change the name of a tie fighter engine part <laughs> you know i mean mm-hmm. it worked what you know what's the point of changing that i and i was like okay i get it and um that was a lesson that's proved largely true is i mean first of all everything in legends is there uh, to be drawn on by storytellers and creators, and you know we've—I mean—we could do multiple podcasts on all the great stuff um, for which that's been true. But it also calls up uh, for me. There, there's a big kind of what I call the infrastructure EU, and that really, for the most part, hasn't changed. Um, whether it's engine parts or uh, the map. I mean, you know, the map in the Essential Atlas. Uh, is still the map that Lucasfilm uses. I mean, there was no reason to to toss that away. Um, to uh, even things like, you know, um, rebel movements or ancient dictators or stuff like that. I mean, it's really the stuff with the 
you know, the, the uh, they're, you know, it's kind of the principal characters and their history, uh, really big things between the Jedi and Sith, uh, things like that. I mean, that's where obviously you, you want to be careful, but beyond that, I mean, you know, that, that, all that, Stuff created for Legends was incredibly rich and wonderful, and uh, there's no reason that it's um, in any way out of bounds uh, for use. So, you know, if it fits and I've got something evocative from Legends, I'll certainly uh, consider it. And if not, you know, you look for something else or you uh, make something up. And then, you know, the I mean, the only other common sense thing beyond that is just, you know, I never, never, never try to sneak anything by anyone. I mean, that's, that's not the way, I mean, this, you know, this, these books demand uh, a big team to produce them. And, you know, like any team, you have to be working together, not at cross purposes. So never try to slip anything by anyone um, so that they can make sure uh, that it's something they want and isn't stumbling, you know, on stumbling on the, under the toes of something that may be in the works. Um, But yeah, that's really it. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward. In the meanwhile, I mean, you know, I will totally admit that, yeah, I, I may have high-fived myself when uh, there was Zim the Despot yeah. uh, in the discussion of the supremacy. That made me really happy because <laughs> I, love, I love, love, love those books. I had a, a sensation that there was there was something in there that you had to have been particularly proud of or happy <laughs> about bringing about. Somehow I'm not surprised it's that one just because, uh, you know, it, it certainly harkens back to a uh, – it harkens back to our own childhood, I would imagine. I don't know how old you are, and I'm not going to make you say on the podcast, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was happy. I, I loved doing it. But again, you know, I think the most important thing is I think it works in that context. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, jamming Zim the Despot into a spread where it didn't make any sense, and you know, and a reader would be like, I don't understand what this means. I mean, that wouldn't work. That, that's that's bad continuity. And I try right. I try very hard to avoid that. So does that mean that when you turn in a draft, anytime you've taken something from the expanded universe or legends and use that or work that into your copy, are you taking pains? Bad choice of word. Are you making a point of flagging those instances just so that way... You know, it's it's clear that you're not trying to slide anything by anyone that you just want them to know, hey, I've just, you know, used these references and I want to make sure you're OK with me bringing them in. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's flagged, but but it's not flagged because it's legends. I mean, everything is flagged. If something is new, I will explain why it's new. Um, if there's something I'm uncertain about, I'll, I'll say, you know, here's here's what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, something uh, from the larger framework of the movie you know, I'll, I'll note it that way to make sure I have the context right, uh, et cetera. So, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, everything is, I guess, you know, it's kind of like footnoting in a, in a, in a school paper, but <laughs> when you do it, you do it for everything, not, not just legends. So just to make, you know, just, just to make, um, just to make the review process, uh, at Lucasfilm easier so they can see not just what you're doing, but also, um, and I think this is important, but so they can also see what you're trying to do. Um, whether it's kind of, you know, nonfiction fiction, like a cross-sections book or straight Star Wars fiction. Um, the thing people miss about story group is it's called story group. It's not continuity group. So, you know, what they're really after um, is trying to help you with the storytelling. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the whole point is trying to sharpen that 
uh, and make sure it works um, as well as it possibly can. So, you know, th- that's that's kind of what everybody's always thinking about. Got it. So then how does it work in situations where you are introducing new story elements that haven't been dealt with anywhere else in the universe? Like, for example, in the section about the Vigil, which is one of the command ships for the Resistance, there's a note that it was acquired by Republic commandos at a battle at, and here we go, pronunciation, uh, Chazadrun Shoals. And so... This clearly is something that is utterly brand new and invented. And so how does the process of doing something like that come about? Uh, exact same way. Um, for that, In that case, you know, I didn't want to do a, a deep dive into Legends for that. That didn't feel right to me. And, you know, one of the, the things that's, that's always fun about Star Wars is, I mean, it's a huge galaxy. I mean, Anakin, you know, wants to wants to see every star and, you know, Han's flown from one side to the other. So it should feel big. And I think that, you know, constantly having um, new names, et cetera, that, that hopefully are, you know, evocative and, and suggest this deeper history, I think is a way of getting uh, the scale of the galaxy across. So that was a case where, you know, that was the way to do it. And, you know, what, what the Battle of the Shoals was and what happened in it, I don't know. I mean, I didn't do that backstory, but um, that's, you know, to me, that's part of the fun. If some uh, writer in the future needs, like, a resistance skirmish uh, to use for storytelling, you know, it, hey, you know, there there's one he or she can pick up and uh, run with. And uh, that's a fun thing uh, to see both as a writer and, and, frankly, as a fan. Like, hey, oh, wow, I remember that. That was that was mentioned back here and now we know what it is yeah and that's something that star wars does really well in their storytelling i mean they did it in the last jedi with poe's line once he sees holdo and he says that's admiral holdo battle of chiron belt admiral holdo and it's another thing who's ever heard of the battle of chiron belt i mean it's like lando saying you know the uh, about the little maneuver in the battle of Tanab. like just all yeah. these little yeah. elements that that we can all draw on. So what would you, would you like to be the one to tell that story? Or is there another one in the book that doesn't exist yet, but has been hinted at that you would love to be the one to tell? Oh, I mean, you'd let me tell any star Wars story and I'm going to be happy. So <laughs> whatever it is, Kyra and bell, chastled on shoals, a new one. Yeah, I'll take a shot at it. But, um, but you know, if, if it's someone else, that's great. And, and also, frankly, if no one ever picks that up and it's just an intriguing uh, stray reference, uh, that's great, too. Um, I mean, that, that's part of what we do. We all know that, you know, the characters, battles, locales, um, whatever it is, I mean, you know, we, I, someone else may create them, but, you know, they, they, all, go in the, they all go in the toy box uh, for anyone to use. They're, they're not... They're not ours. They're part of this uh, larger shared universe, and that, that's something you know, you know, going in. And um, you know, and I, I think the uh, the band of Star Wars writers is is pretty good about not being proprietary about that stuff. And I, I certainly didn't want to suggest that that might have been the case necessarily. Um, no, 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 just for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it it really is part of the fun of it, and um, you know, the the fun of working in that shared universe is. No, I, I think everybody who gets to tell stories in it understands that. And so there's a, there's a real kind of nice generosity uh, back and forth 
um, when you're writing about each other's characters or about anything else. That's awesome to hear. I, I that's that's the sort of stuff that I don't think very many people talk about at all. Just the the interconnected web of storytellers, and I would love to explore that more as well, uh, because people picking up the characters, it's it's very uh, it's a very interesting thing, especially with invented characters like when John Jackson Miller invented uh, Ray Sloan for A New Dawn, and then. Chuck Wendig has to pick her up for the Aftermath novels and just how seamlessly that's been done in the new canon. I'm saying the new canon because I was not especially well-versed with the expanded universe. Um, Definitely dropped off (laughs) of it, unfortunately, pretty early on. But the way it's been passed from writer to writer and how seamless the the character development has been at various points in their history has just been rather remarkable in these last few years so um thank you very much for your part in that too oh yeah you're welcome no i'm sloan is a is a perfect example i mean uh yeah i mean john jackson miller uh, invented sloan for a new dawn um you know chuck uh, she had a big role to play in aftermath obviously um i also i wrote a short story called the levers of power um, that appears in the Rise of the Empire uh, book yes. uh, about her at the Battle of Endor. And so, yeah, so Sloan's a perfect example. I mean, when I wrote that, uh, I ran a draft of the story by John, and I ran um, a draft by Chuck. Um, aftermath, uh, first Aftermath was still uh, in manuscript, but it was coming. Um, you know, just to make sure, I wanted, I wanted John to feel like my depiction of Sloan was true uh, to her character as he's seen it. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't stepping on anything, uh, Chuck did. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's, you know, equal parts, uh, equal parts kind of common courtesy and also making sure that everything fits and, you know, and it also makes, you know, it makes story group and everybody else's job easier. Uh, if, if we as writers have done some of that ahead of time and it worked out great. In fact, John had a little, um, there was a little thing in a short story he'd done, which, you know, where he was looking back at the timelines and looking at aftermath, and he was he, you know, suggested, you know, a little um, tweak I could do that would, you know, take care of a continuity thing that was annoying him. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> we were able to do things like that too. So yeah, all part of the fun. Well. I want to thank you so much for your time today. I I know that you have projects that you need to be attending to. I'm really grateful that you were able to take a break out of your day. I guess this is the the errands portion of your day anyway, so it ends up (laughs) (laughs) working out well. Um, And I know you have The Last Jedi novelization coming out in March, so that seems to be like your next Star Wars project on the horizon, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, in May... Uh, there'll be a Rose uh, Tika book from Studio Fun, uh, very similar to, to Bomber Command about Page Tika. But uh, yeah, the novelization comes out in March. And of course, I am really, really excited uh, for everyone to get to read it. I had a blast putting it together. And that is pretty much the only thing I can say. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, really, really looking forward uh, to that coming out and uh, to giving... Uh, fans a chance to dig back into a story I find very deep and rich and interesting and hopefully they will uh, enjoy my take on it and I definitely hope to be able to chat with you again in a couple of months to to talk about the novelization as well if you're down with that 
Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a, a super fun project and lots to talk about. Excellent. And on the non-Star Wars side of the house, what do you have going on that you could share with our listeners? Uh, I am coming back to my own Jupiter Pirates series, which I have I really enjoyed working on. We did uh, three books for HarperCollins uh, that are out in bookstores near you or on a um, on a on a book selling website even closer <laughs> to you. And uh, I'm going back to that series uh, to work on the fourth book, uh, which has no title yet. Um, for the uninitiated, I, I hope you'll. Forgive a 30-second plug. No, please uh, do. Is, That's yeah, why I asked. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, Jupiter Pirates is set in a galaxy not so far, far away. It's set mm. in our own solar system in the 29th century, and uh, it involves a, a family of space pirates, though they're now actually privateers, which is an interesting shift for them. Uh, the mother is the captain, the father is the first mate, and the children are... Uh, essentially midshipmen uh, working on the bridge. And um, what's interesting about it is the the family starship has been passed down from generation to generation, and um, with a member of each uh, generation serving as the captain in turn. And so the um, the kids uh, are simultaneously have to cooperate. This is the family business, and they have to you know keep each other alive. Uh, out in space, but they're also competing to be the next captain, and mm. only one of them will be chosen. So, you know, it's got space battles and hidden treasure and uh, war within the solar system and family secrets and all sorts of stuff that, you know, I think works in Star Wars or any other storytelling, but it's also got uh, a lot of sibling rivalry and a lot of figuring out what you want to what you want to do with yourself in a changing world, which is something that you know, even those of us a few centuries behind, I think, can relate to. Uh, yeah, so working on that fourth book, uh, hopefully sometime this year. But uh, it's really fun to be back involved uh, in that story again. That's excellent news that you're back in there. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 a blast so far. And on Twitter, you are Jason C. Fry. So anybody who wants to connect with you there can connect with you there. And um, any other locations that people should be uh, checking you out online? Uh, JasonFry.net. You can uh, look for me there. Um, or uh, I have a Tumblr, Jason Fry's Dorkery, where you know, <laughs> occasionally things that are too long for uh, for Twitter, but, um, but but don't seem like they're quite up to redoing the website for uh you can find them there as well <laughs> excellent all right jason thank you again so much for your time i really appreciate it it's been a pleasure talking with you yeah likewise no terrific questions and uh, i have enjoyed chatting with you and hopefully we can uh, come back in the spring and talk about the novelization hey rebel rouser if you haven't done so already, please consider leaving a review for Star Wars 7x7 on your favorite podcast app. Not just a star rating, although I will say we are personally very proud of our near-unanimous five-star rating on iTunes. No, I just mean a thoughtful sentence or two about what you like about the podcast, or how happy you are that it's part of your daily routine. And more reviews means better visibility, which means more people get to share in a daily dose of Star Wars joy, and you want that, don't you? Of course you do. So please leave a review on your favorite podcast app today. I thank you, and the Star Wars 7x7 podcast thanks you. Welcome back. 
All right, so at the end of the interview, Jason mentioned a Rose Tico project, and that is another in-universe journal that he's doing. The most recent one he did was Bomber Command. It was Paige Tico's in-universe journal, and this one will be entitled Rose Tico, My Resistance, also published by Studio Fun International, and that's coming out on May 1st. And in a separate interview he did with Studio Fun International for their website, he said that it begins shortly before the events of The Last Jedi, and he says that it's great to tell the story of The Last Jedi and see its characters and events through her eyes. So it sounds like the book is actually going to go into the time frame of The Last Jedi, and because it's happening also before The Last Jedi, then it seems like it will also overlap the elements of Elizabeth Wine's novel Cobalt Squadron that we've been talking about this week. So we'll be keeping our eyes out for that one, as well as Jason's more immediately forthcoming work, which is the last Jedi novelization set to debut. I believe it's on March 6th. Until then, though, it's time for us to sign off for today. So thank you very much, as always, for listening to the podcast. And may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you get separated from your master in a lightsaber duel, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'll be able to do even more with the show for you with your support at Patreon.com SW7x7. It's not Darth Maul sliced in half, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.